Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest, time poor, but enthusiasm-rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Elliot Morgan. Hello. And Dan Rosen. Hi. It's been a while since both of you have been on, but really good to have both of you here. And I'm looking forward to um, drawing in as much of your expertise as possible, because it's been a while since I actually taught science myself. And so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what, how, what the state of play is at the moment. So the focus is going to be science practicals, something that I know is important across all of science education, but one that's worth thinking deeply about. So, Dan, if I could start with you, what is the purpose of practicals in science? It's a, it's a really good question, because I think I've been thinking deeply about this a lot myself. Lots of people think it's about uh, giving students the skills uh, to become scientists or to, or to be scientists. Uh, some people think, uh, especially at my end up in secondary, it's to pass a practical exam, uh, which to a certain extent, I guess, is, is true. But I was thinking about it and I, I was wondering, like, what are we trying to achieve with practicals? And part of it is about the skills, you know, the, the actual physical act of doing certain things in a practical. But the reality is, is that lots of those are kind of abstract um, in terms of, you know, how often you're going to cut a potato to a specific size, you know, measure it with a ruler. Uh, and then plonk it in some water. The reality is you're only going to do that in a science experiment, in, in a science lab at school. Um, however, cutting and measuring accurately are important. Equally being safe with equipment, that is also important. And so there is an element of learning specific scientific practical skills, which I think are important to a greater or a lesser extent. Um, but actually, for me, I, I think there's two main things about why I think practicals are important. The, the first one is that kind of genuine engagement in real life science. And, and it's not about necessarily using the practical to learn a piece of content. You know, if we want to teach about surface area to volume ratio, or we want to talk about color changes, it's much quicker, much more efficient to, you know, be a bit more didactic or, or set up an activity to do that. We don't, or we don't actually need a student to do a practical, but there is something really, really enjoyable about doing a practical yourself, you know, um, when people go to random art classes or they go um, and do uh, something at the science museum, there's something fun about that. And there's something like energizing about being involved, even if the science practical that you're doing is pretty lame, or even if you're not necessarily learning anything new. So for me, I think there was a big part about that, certainly in Key Stage 3. And I'd argue probably even more so in primary, although I, I defer to the experts on that one. But there is something you know, about the students getting involved in doing something and seeing what happens, experimenting, not necessarily to learn the science. Um, and then I think there is also an element, again, especially at the top end of secondary, you know, year 13, year 12, the art of planning something is one thing. The art of evaluating and analysing is one thing. But actually just seeing how messy science is in terms of you're planning to do something, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Oh, I've forgotten this control variable. Or, oh, I didn't measure this correctly. And I think that that trial and error process, again, it's not about learning the science necessarily. It's about understanding that science is a tough endeavor. You have to redo things. It's literally called trial and error because that's what we do. We, we try something, we see what happens, we go back, we reflect on it, we change it, we try again. And, and that's how science kind of works as a discipline. So I hope in a roundabout way, I've answered your question there, that um, there's lots of things I think are valuable about practicals in science. And I think I'm probably going to hit some of the same bases here. Uh, but I, I think for me, there's maybe like three or four uh, main purposes. The first is like the, probably perhaps the sort of most obvious is it's 
the chance to reinforce the scientific knowledge or, or theory or concepts that that they've been taught if you have chosen to to teach the the content first before doing the practical um because the practical is like the opportunity for the for the student to go and apply that knowledge in the classroom so it represents the chance to turn that knowledge from something that's perhaps very abstract or complex as, as it can be in science into something very tangible uh, and, and meaningful by conducting those uh, practicals it's getting the pupils to see that practical application of the science that they've, they've been taught which uh, should not only help them to better understand that science but should also improve their chance of, of remembering it as well because they've got something to tie it to secondly i would say that this is a, i guess a bit of a contentious thing in in primary sciences like that well or, or primary generally is like the idea of disciplinary knowledge um and, and in the primary level in the, the national curriculum in the uk that is our working scientifically criteria so practicals are, are a good opportunity to develop that disciplinary knowledge or all the that working scientifically criteria because it, it gives pupils the the chance to go and practice like systematic observations to practice measurement data collection and uh, data analysis and presentation using results to draw conclusions and, and so on and, and we're very fortunate with the science curriculum that, that disciplinary knowledge is laid out for us we don't have to go and figure it out it's there as the work and scientifically criteria um so and, and these skills aren't they're not only essential for like a greater or deeper understanding of science but they're incredibly useful if you do want to go and pursue a career in, in science um and they're just generally useful life skills, aren't they? Understanding causal relationships and, and things like that. So practicals are like that, that vehicle for, for building that disciplinary knowledge. Um, I think in primary, we're sort of just introducing them. It's very basic. That's fine. But it's important for them to understand how sort of scientific thinking happens, how scientific knowledge is, is formed, because it's, it's just as important them understanding the scientific process as it is the actual knowledge that you're teaching them. Uh, and then lastly, I would say, and I say this as someone who's quite uh, fond of like independent learning, who believes like, oh, all the pupils need to understand these things individually, blah, blah, blah. But I think practicals are quite good for like collaborative learning. They're great for like discussion, uh, people's asking each other questions, affirming what they, they think to be true, constructing this sort of shared understanding around what they've been taught. Uh, like it's a great chance to use all the sort of subject specific vocabulary they've been taught. Uh, so yeah, that, those would be my reasons. I mean, you're nodding along there, Dan. Do you, as a secondary teacher, you know, inheriting pupils from the primary phase, do you think if, if Elias covered sort of, you know, these are, this is the kind of experience we want our pupils to have had as they come through? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the biggest challenge is when you, you are faced with students that come up from primary that haven't kind of had it explicitly articulated that science is a discipline, not, not necessarily just a subject with content. There is this scientific method that applies to any science that we study. And I think certainly that's one of the biggest misconceptions that students in year seven, eight, maybe even later have, if they haven't had that disciplinary grounding. And I think Elliot touches on that really, really well, that it's, you know, we are teaching them that this is a, and a method and a process, not just specifically about this flower or about this chemical, you know, because I think we sometimes mix those two together. Really often we assume when we're talking about science, we're talking about one or both or either, but we haven't really kind of separated them. And I think actually if a student can come up from primary knowing, actually, do you know what, when we're going to science lessons, what we're really talking about is knowledge obtained via the scientific method. I think conceptually that that really kind of is fairly transformative in, in how they view the topics that they're they're seeing it's no longer oh this is just the case it's a okay it's the case because this is how we've got that information and i think you know suddenly 
when we talk about, you know, you talked about the conceptualization of something, you know, when we talk about something as simple like gravity, everyone understands gravity exists. It's super easy to demonstrate. But when you're actually trying to, you know, calculate the speed of gravity or the sort of the, the speed of something falling to, towards Earth, you know, actually understanding how would we go about doing that? Because, you know, for the large majority of, of human existence, we didn't really know. And it feels kind of normal for us to know that now, but it took a lot of hard work and effort. Um, and actually having students appreciate what has had to happen in order for us to consider something a scientific fact, um, I think is, is conceptually really, really powerful. I think one thing that really stood out was the idea that they're not necessarily learning anything new during um, a practical. I mean, that's certainly something that I needed to hear in my first couple of years of teaching. So I think the next question will be really important for me and anyone who's in a similar situation. What, what are the principles of effective science practicals? I mean, safety considerations aside, um, you know, I think we have to assume that that's a given. Uh, for me, what makes an effective practical is being really, really articulate, articulate about the purpose. Are we trying to uh, replicate something that we know? Are we trying to conceptualize a piece of knowledge? Are we trying to practice a process? You know, Elliot talked about observation and measurement. It, is that the purpose? Because if so, we need to really articulate why, what it is and why we're doing it, because that changes it. You know, I talked about the osmosis cutting potatoes. If the purpose is actually we want to work on our cutting and our measuring skills and our attention to detail and um, our accuracy and our observations, then cool, Let, let's let's make the students cut up and, and really, really measure. And I think that's super important is being really articulate about what it is, the purpose of this practical is. In terms of what also makes a really effective practical, I think there needs to be a demonstration. Uh, and I think we can't underestimate the power of a teacher being at the front or in the middle or whatever, actually showing the students what is expected and not just saying, you know, go off and, and cut it or go off and measure it or draw it. Well, well, what does that mean? Well, that, that's an awful instruction. Like, what, what are you expecting the students to do? It's a biological way to draw something. So let's show them and then get them to practice. Um, and then the third thing I was, I was thinking about is, is, is what do we do in that downtime? Because often there's practicals which require a lot of input setting up, and then we have to wait to gather data. Or the data collection is, is fairly mundane and really it's a one-person job. So what is happening in that downtime so that students are doing something productive? We wouldn't set a task or any group task or any independent task whereby students are doing nothing for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So why is that okay in a practical? Uh, I don't think it is. And I think it's really important to plan what it is you're wanting them to do. But it's got to be flexible enough so that when group one finishes and group two are still you know, doing what they're doing, that it's flexible enough so that you can kind of coordinate it between the groups and that it's not the practical itself doesn't rely on that downtime. Um, and so it could just be a range of questions relating to the content. It could be some reflection questions. It could be anything really, as long as it's directed and, and accounted for so that you don't have the case where you have three board students waiting and then there's some dangerous equipment knocking about or there's something interesting over in the other group or, you know, children are children. They're going to want to do something if they're bored. Um, so let's, let's really focus their energy, focus their, their attention on something that's meaningful, that isn't just superfluous to the, to the practical, um, you know, washing up, that's not a great use of time. Um, it might be important to reuse a, a particular piece of equipment, but, you know, let's make sure they're doing something purposeful that's related to either the content or, or the concept, concept that they are studying. So I'd say those are the, the three things that I would consider 
need to be thought of and planned for uh, for an effective practical. Right. I'm I'm going to come at this from the like the opposite angle because uh, of a report that's going to uh, just come out. So I'm going to look at what makes practicals ineffective or some sort of ineffective practice around around practicals, um, because Ofsted have very recently released a report that covered uh, what they'd observed the practicals at, at quite some length. Uh, and the report was called Finding the Optimum. So if listeners want to Google it, you should be able to find it. But sort of as a quick uh, prezi for you now, um, I'll uh, mention what they noticed with regards to practicals. A slight caveat at the start, it was only based on the visits to about 50 schools, I think, um, but it was primary and secondary. So they found that uh, pupils were not developing secure knowledge of science, as often the focus was on completing practical activities rather than ensuring the content was learned. They also found that leaders' plans to develop disciplinary knowledge was usually much less developed than their plans for people's substantive knowledge, and that in general, not enough consideration was given to identifying the knowledge or concepts that are needed to work scientifically. They also found that pupils were more likely to take part in practical activities in primary school than in secondary. A slightly small sample size there, so take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, but they also found in that all the schools they visited Teachers rarely use demonstrations themselves, which is an interesting point because Dan just made the point about teachers should be doing that, like showing that deliberate practice of how to draw a diagram or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, and, and the other interesting thing about that is it, like this was released recently, but a couple of years ago, there was a report from um, the Ogden Trust and uh, the University of Manchester. I forget what it was called, something like the 10 key issues in science. But there's, there's a lot of crossover here with what Ofsted found. They found in, um, in that report a couple of years ago that the science learning for children was very superficial, it lacked depth, uh, that children were often doing fun science activities that failed to like deepen or actually develop their understanding, and that children were often engaged in this very prescriptive practical work that, that lacked purpose, which again circles back to, to what Dan said about it having sort of this clear instructional intention whether it's like not only just the science they're learning, but like the work in scientific criteria or the type of inquiry that they're pursuing. The only thing I would add, because I agree with all of Dan's points, was um, about misconceptions. I know there's not like conclusive evidence on how best to approach uh, misconceptions in science. But I do think that practicals are, are a tool in a teacher's arsenal for, for trying to tackle them. Because if they've already got misconceptions, then a practical can help them to sort of potentially self-identify that uh through observing from the practical and then they can revise their understanding from that um because it's it's getting people's to it's evidence-based reasoning isn't it to draw conclusions so that helps to negate misconceptions in the first place uh hopefully but also to to challenge any sort of preconceived um assumptions and then yeah also just general effective pedagogy that we know managing cognitive loads uh doing plenty of questioning uh, and so on i think your last one is caveated by the idea that the rest must be effective because I'm pretty sure that it's definitely possible to show the wrong thing with a poorly planned, uh, with a poorly planned investigation or, or practical. So what considerations must teachers make to ensure they run smoothly? So, yeah, I think obviously the, the safety elements, I think in terms of what teachers should be doing in advance, I think they should trial, trial the experiments. I mean, I taught science for long enough. I've been there when a when an experiment has failed. I think you've got to know the limitations of the experiment you're doing with the equipment you have in your school because you know it's easy enough to find a uh, you know 
a method online or something or other and, and, and think, oh, this is brilliant. Or, you know, a colleague says this has worked really well for me. But the biggest thing that goes wrong for me when I've observed science lessons is when the teacher doesn't really quite know what's going to happen next. And so the consideration of not just being one step ahead of what's happening in the class, but actually like have done it all yourself and you work out where the misconceptions may be, for example, you know, when they're doing an aspect of uh, a practical and actually you could see this kind of tripping up the students. Alternatively, seeing where the equipment is difficult or where timing really is important or seeing, you know, how those things kind of fit together. I think that's a really important consideration is get that feeling that they're kind of so comfortable and relaxed that actually they can then spend their attention asking the probing questions, checking on the behavior, making sure everything's safe. Because when you start science teaching as a science teacher in secondary, actually, the first practical is really scary because suddenly there's a load of dangerous equipment and all you're concerned about is the safety. And you've totally forgotten everything else. And so if you're considering that first and you've got that done and dusted and you run it through yourself and you know where all the stuff is, actually, that will help the practical run smoother because you are in the moment. You are there and and alert and not just caring about the safety, which means you can focus on the disciplinary questions. You know, why are we repeating this three times? Why would we want to control this variable? You can ask those questions as you go. The good thing is you can kind of set yourself up to be supported by having those questions pre-prepared. You know, why try and think of it off the top of your head when you could have a list of pre-prepared questions at specific times in the practical? You know, we are about to go and measure this aspect. I'm going to ask each of you to measure it. And so therefore we're going to average the measurement. Why are we going to do it at that point? You know, you can talk about averages at that point exactly. And you know you're going to. So you're, you're hitting all of your kind of disciplinary knowledge criteria so the overall consideration for me is preparation it's got to be about prepping knowing your equipment knowing where your things are in the classroom or out of the classroom when are you going to ask your questions when are you going to pull back a bit and actually say do you know what the students need a bit of time to do this on their own they need to kind of make some mistakes and and prompt them push them back a bit and, and you know have you thought about this and, and I think it's important for you to know that so I've kind of called it preparation but actually there's quite a lot in there about what to consider uh, to make it run really smoothly um i hope that kind of makes sense as a holistic approach yeah i i 100% agree with dan i think he's like totally hit the the nail on the head there it is all in the prep isn't it it's all in the prep like the, the better prepared you are the more responsive your teaching can be in the moment like as dan said with proving and checking behavior and that's what you want the the, the learning in that lesson is going to be far more effective if you're able to go and question and respond at that moment rather than having to think about a question um so yeah I, yeah i absolutely agree with prepping um and like also prepping the students like if you're going to do a comparative test are they aware of what a comparative test is uh if you're going to do a fair test they understand what a fair test is and then perhaps the, probably the one i see most often when i go and observe uh teachers is i, I would say is time management i, I think we're we're we often teach the science behind it and then don't leave necessarily enough time for the practical itself um and and it's like are the pupils getting enough time to conduct the practical is there is there enough time to fully explore the science behind it because sometimes it, it's so like the content's so meaty that you need to split it over over two lessons um like i think in our curriculum we've got um something on like surface area and the whole the whole first lesson surface area, and then the second lesson is about like right let's go and test air resistance and the link between surface area because we thought it was so abstract or complex that we wanted to spread it into those two lessons. And then the final one, just from 
from being a very naive uh like novice teacher is i would say like you're grouping if because often as you are going to group pupils together thinking very carefully about who's going with who because uh it's sort of like the pedagogical equivalent of like a bee flying in the room isn't it and it just it can it can be chaos um yeah and uh dan mentioned resources like the thing i would add to that again from my own naivety is is making sure like there's contingency in place if like the stopwatch stops working we've run out of battery or you haven't got enough of this liquid or that um because that stuff like not being prepared will come back and bite you yeah i think especially the running out of something or something breaking because what do you do you're not going to leave the classroom so you're then going to send a kid but then are you going to send the kid to go and get that it, it causes carnage and i think that kind of pre-preparation of having contingency upon contingency makes a huge difference uh, and one thing i wanted to pick up on that you just said there it was knowing what they're talking about i think the key terms that are really crucial here if if you're using content terms which the students have known it, that that's great and i think most teachers would think about that but have we really talked about the disciplinary key terms control variable independent variable dependent variable why are we using those terms and not just saying uh, temperature you know because temperature is what we're looking at but why are we even bothering to say independent variable on the x-axis dependent variable on the y-axis because if they don't know those terms then if part of your practical needs those terms well then what are you going to do are you going to stop and teach it there and then well no because you've planned it really well to be timed and and you know it could end up just ballooning when you have to explain something so kind of a pre-understanding of all the technical terminology not just the content terminology uh, i think also makes a massive difference and it's okay to say do you know what this is the term we should use but we haven't learned it yet so okay let's use a different during the practical and then i'll address it later on when actually is a more appropriate time rather than stopping the whole class halfway through when they're in bits and bobs and, and everything's flying so um, you know, there's nothing wrong with adapting. You do and realizing, okay, I haven't taught this term, but then you've also got to have a, a contingency, so to speak, to say, well, how will I explain this, knowing that they don't understand this term? Um, and it probably happens more often than we think that we get in there and we're like, oh, I really should have explained what this is, but it's too late now. Um, and actually, you're better off kind of just taking that hit for the sake of the flow of the practical than to kind of stop it, explain it. That takes five minutes and then you realize that you've got not enough time to finish your practical so which bit do you cut now so i think it's just having those contingencies in place for that as well yeah i remember when we first spoke on the podcast and you were saying about how your big picture is about do i have enough time for all the practicals that i want and in primary we obviously don't have enough time to do half the things that we'd like to do so i think anyone listening will be yeah thinking about yeah if i can be eff eff efficient with my time that's going to make everything a whole lot better I mean, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking about maths and obviously in maths, it's it's preferable that the teachers will have done the mathematics before they try to teach the mathematics. And and, you know, but the worst thing that can happen is the lesson isn't very good. You need to reteach it the next day. It's obvious the stakes are slightly higher sometimes. And, you know, I'm thinking particularly when the Bunsen burner gets out and. I think, like as Dan said, you've got to prep them in in using the equipment and stuff in the first place. Like you said, that's just an added layer of like of panic for you as the teacher. It feels like a pretty heavy time investment to change an approach to practicals. How would you review the strengths and weaknesses of what you currently have in place? Oh, it's a big question. Uh, I think. For me, I've, you've got to zoom out and look at the the long term picture because actually, if we get 
kind of stuck in the nitty gritty of does this topic need a practical? I think you'll very quickly realize that you can't. Um, and, and I think that's a huge weakness, right? This time investment is a massive, massive weakness. The curricula are stuffed full of content. And um, I, I think it sometimes can become almost like just self-defeating. You look at it, you go, oh my God, this is gonna take a lesson, two lessons. I've got so much content to get to, look at the curriculum plan, never happening. But actually, I would say, let, let's step back, because if we if we took that approach all the way, then students are never doing practicals, right? If, if students come up to secondary having never done a practical, we're stuck even worse, right? Because we're assuming they've got a level of skill and then they don't have it. I think in the same way, you know, you look at retrieval practice, little and often makes a massive difference. We look at all kinds of stuff, even you're talking about football skills or any kind of close sporting skill. The more you practice, little and often you know, the, the longer term dividends are there. And I think I would take the same approach to science in the sense that if we can get their disciplinary knowledge up to scratch, I'm not talking necessarily about practical ability like cutting or measuring, although those things are important, I think we can get them elsewhere. I think if we can get that disciplinary knowledge of independent variables, dependent control variables, how are we making it in primary parlance affair test, um, you know, those sorts of things are worth it weight in gold later on and i think if if students can have a working vocabulary and a working understanding of those terms i think by the time you get to upper key stage three beginning of key stage four actually the practical time constraints aren't aren't that bad um i think the other big picture thing to think about is is it worth it it depends on on how interesting and exciting the, the practicals are do they immerse the students in being a scientist not do they learn this content but is this making them want to be a scientist when they're older? Because this is what scientists do. You know, they repeat the same thing over again a few times. They tinker with variables. They kind of observe the real world and say, I'm interested to find out this. How could I investigate that? And I think, you know, that has to be part of our science curriculum. That has to be an interesting and, and engaging approach to, to just say, actually, do you know what? I want to learn more. And this is how scientists do that. And I think, again, that will pay dividends because if we get students being able to do that, by definition, if they can do those aspects, then they can become more independent scientists. And if they can become more independent scientists, then not only will practical work go quicker, but they can actually do this in real life, right? They can go out and do whatever they want to in real life. And there's nothing more inspiring when you hear about kids just coming in off a holiday and said, you know, well, yeah, we experimented with, you know, different levels of flour in our pancakes great like that's science cooking is science you know or you know we we were testing how fast we could go with different clothes on on our bikes like it's 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 an afternoon in the holidays but do you know what that's science right you are looking at these things and and actually those are born out as adults you know you look at what adult cyclists wear that's about air resistance you talked about that earlier that's literally experimenting with air resistance has got us to that position well wouldn't it be cool if if actually everyone knew the, how they got there and, and why they got there and if they really wanted to conduct an experiment themselves um so i think for me it's worth it but it has to be worth it for everyone not just primary and not just secondary it has to be worth it you know educationally for us to say this is what we value and therefore we're gonna we're gonna push on with it but it's got to be the right things that we're, we're valuing in terms of emphasizing and not just the okay, we're going to do an experiment and, and hope it works. It's what's the content knowledge? What's the disciplinary knowledge? Uh, what, what are the other things that we're actually purposefully doing experiments for? I mean, we're constantly refining curriculum, aren't we? It is like Sisyphean in um, 
in nature like we're, we're constantly pushing that that rock back up the hill um and i'm in danger of repeating myself here but ultimately a practical is is, is the application or or um exploration of that knowledge that you want the people to understand so if the practical is not meeting these instructional intentions we have we have to pause and ask ourselves are we using the appropriate practical in in these lessons and i don't think that this necessarily means adding more to our workload when we're considering this but instead considering how that factors into what we already do in terms of um, curriculum oversight and monitoring so uh, learning walks book looks pupil voice speaking to colleagues all that triangle triangulation that we do we should be thinking about the practicals uh, when when we're monitoring science in that way and of course being um, cautious of like the poor proxies of learning uh, and other things and, and then also being conscious of like not throwing the baby out of the bathwater so just because the practical isn't working that doesn't mean we need to change it and get scrap it and bring in a new one what is it about it that isn't working is it because the the resources aren't effective or appropriate is it because there's not enough time being dedicated to the practical is it because there wasn't enough time spent explaining the underlying science behind the practical so often tasks just need a little tweak in whatever subject they may be so that they can be implemented properly so we don't necessarily need to scrap a, a task altogether and I would say that it's important to keep reading up on, on best practice around practicals. There's always studies and things happening all the time. So like that Ofsted um, Optimum report we mentioned earlier, the Ogden report, reading around these reports because they're telling us what the best practice is so that we can go and apply it in, in our daily practice ourselves. Um, and then lastly, as Dan said, don't be afraid to try a new practical if you think it may be better. If it, like Just because you've done something for 10 years and it's effective, there could be something that's even more effective that means the success rate or, or understanding of the children is much higher. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to experiment. Little pun for you there. I was about to say, ironically, you're talking about taking a scientific approach to scientific practicals, right? You're, you're saying, right, let's try something. Let's see how it works. Let's tweak a variable somewhere to see if we can make it better. Like we're taking it, we are being scientists by, you know, kind of observing the real world, hypothesizing, testing something. And I, and I think, that's the the slight irony for me is that we as practitioners are are being scientists and yet if we really want that for our students moving forward we also need to give them the opportunities to, to to kind of engage in that level of thinking at whatever level it is and it looks very different at different age groups of course it does but the reality is is that we can allow students to have that opportunity and you know if we are being effective or we want to be more effective then then that's what we should be doing as opposed to just kind of hoping that something good's going to come out of it I'm, I'm going to say a phrase here that i know a lot of people sort of like turn their nose up at but like the idea of thinking like a scientist like oh yeah do we really expect a seven-year-old to truly understand our scientific well no not to the extent like an adult scientist would but we're we're set they're novices and we're setting them on this path towards more being more expert not necessarily becoming expert but becoming more expert so that could be a sort of question that guides your practice in terms of like strengths and, and weaknesses of what you have in place is how can you make it so that they're thinking like a scientist more or are they thinking like a scientist when they're approaching this practical? Nice. I think that, that last question might be the most important one because I can imagine there'll be a lot of people having to take on perhaps a mindset shift. Um, and, you know, I think you guys have outlined really, really well why that mindset shift should be possible and I think necessary. So, you know, I mean, if anyone's wondering how to improve their approach to practicals you know then look no further than here it's always a massive pleasure to talk to both of you guys and then i'm now thinking of which other scientific 
or science-based topics can I cover in the next couple of <laughs> in the next couple of months? So all all I said to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Elliot. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. And everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening.